Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we open your word today, we pray for supernatural and divine revelation from you as we begin to turn our attention more focused on the Christmas season. Let us glean from this time of year and the, the stories and the messages. Let us glean what you would have us to see and to understand. And Lord, as, we, as I speak today, I pray that you would allow me to speak with anointed words, that you would allow me to speak by the power of your Holy Spirit, and that the words that are spoken would find a landing spot in each of our hearts. Show us what you want us to see. Change our hearts from the inside out and let your word come alive to each one of us today. And I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, <clears throat> excuse me, again, because we're just beginning to move into the Christmas season, um, I thought today that I would deal with lessons from the Christmas story. Some of these lessons I have written about in the past. Some of them I have spoken about in the past. Uh, some of them I have even spoken personally to some of you uh, about these lessons. Uh, but for, for one thing, a lot of you weren't here then. And another thing, I don't know about you, my wife and I have been watching some TV shows that we've watched already. And we watch them like we've never seen them before. Yeah, that kind of looks vaguely familiar. But I can't tell you what's happening next. So anyway, we leak. And so we want to talk about lessons from the Christmas story as we enter into the month of December. Uh, there is a message. And actually, there are several messages uh, communicated in the Christmas story as recorded in the Scripture. We're not going to cover anywhere near all of those messages today, anywhere near all of those lessons today. I'm just going to touch on three uh, that we can pick up from the story. There are messages about God's timing, his forgiveness, and his restoration, and the redemption of what seems unredeemable. Sometimes what we're facing and what we're dealing with seems unredeemable. And and I just the Christmas story teaches us that there's nothing beyond God's hand of restoration. And then we'll finish today talk we'll learn why the virgin birth of Jesus was so uncompromisingly important and is so uncompromisingly important to the gospel message. It's a vital part. It's not just something that people can agree or disagree on. Um but it's vital to us understanding the gospel message and understanding even what we sang about earlier, nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away my sins. That song means nothing unless there's a virgin birth. And we'll find out why before we're done today. And so if you want to turn, as I said earlier, to Luke chapter 2, we're not going to read the entire uh, story. We may do that in a few weeks. I don't know. Uh, but I wanted just to read a few verses and then put a couple of verses on the screen. And so what I'm going to do is ask you to stand while we read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and then remain standing when, you're, when, when we're completed, and then we'll read the other two verses from the screen. Uh, again, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. 
Again, reading from the English Standard Version. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You can be seated. Good news of great joy. Oh, you're, that's right. I told you to be seated, didn't you? How about we stand back up? That was just a test. Did I tell you we leak? And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now you can be seated. This, these last two verses are an angel speaking to Joseph in a dream. And you've heard me say many times that Joseph didn't dream about an angel, but this was an angel in his dream speaking to him. So we have two passages, one in Luke chapter 2, one in Matthew 1. Both of them teach us that there's the good news and the great news of great joy is that there is a Savior born. His name is Jesus. You shall call his name Emmanuel because he is God with us. The great news of Christmas is that we didn't have to try to get to where God is on our own effort, but God came to where we are so that he could take us to where he is. Isn't that great? How else would we get to where God is? And so the news of the Christmas story has always been and always will be that there's good news of great joy and that we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. You will call him Emmanuel and because he is God with us. Good news. So we're going to just deal with three aspects or lessons from this story, the Christmas story. And uh, the first one, if you've read the most recent Kernels of Truth, you've, I addressed this somewhat in that, but in the entirety of the Kernels of Truth. If you don't know what the Kernels of Truth is, then you just ask me at some point and I'll tell you. Uh, and we'll see about you getting those things. Uh, God's timing is impeccable. Let's say that together. God's timing is impeccable. This is the first lesson we learned from the Christmas story. There was a lot going on in those nine months, or now I think the baby's last ten months, in the womb. That was supposed to be funny, but I guess it wasn't. Uh, anyway, there's a lot going on during that period of time when Jesus was in the womb of Mary and you, if, if we lived in our Western, uh, age of expediency, which says we gotta do it now, gotta do it now, gotta do it now, can't wait, gotta do it now, then we would have had a problem, but God was patient enough. See, do you believe God could have just said, hey, won't you just appear down there as a man and we're gonna get this thing? But he didn't do it that way. Jesus came through the normal uh, birthing process because he needed to be a human being and we'll come back to that. But, but he comes to earth 
as as uh, the Savior, and he comes to earth when he was supposed to. God's timing is impeccable. Now, I know sometimes we don't believe that because we're expecting something. We're looking for something to happen in our life. We've been praying earnestly, and we're waiting for this to happen or we're waiting for that to happen, and we think God has gone to sleep. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoptions, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of time, some of your Bibles will say, at just the right time, Jesus was born. Jesus was not born one minute later than he was supposed to. He was not born one minute earlier than God planned. It was just the right time. Now, there was a lot going on, not only during the time that Jesus was in the womb of Mary, but up until that time. If you'll recall, this was one of the darkest, vilest times in history, even in Israel. This was a, this was a dark, uh, vile time because there were vile people doing things. There was vile people in charge. And yet God is not a God of, I gotta do it now. God is not, God does not have a bleeding heart. Let me just tell you that. He does not move based on a bleeding heart or based on a need of expediency, expediency. God moves in his own time, in his own way. Now how many of you believe God knows better than you do? I do. I think he's smarter than me. I heard Brother Charles say one time, our, one of our problems is, is that we think Jesus is a loving God, but we don't think he's very smart. Because if we thought he was very smart, we'd do what he said. Mm. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. I've said this before, I'll say it again. God is never late. Let's say that together. God is never late. But I'll give you that he's rarely early. He's rarely early, but he's never late. We, we're waiting and waiting and we're wringing our hands and we're patting our foot and we're hyperventilating and God shows up and we say, well, where you been? Been right here. The word fullness in that verse, and I dealt with this in the kernels of truth, the word fullness is the word that means to it, it achieved full measure. Achieved full measure. The imagery that Paul is using is that of a ship with a full cargo and crew. A full cargo and crew going out to do what, it, what a, a cargo ship does. And it's fully equipped. It's fully ready. And that's what uh, the Bible says that when, when everything had developed as it should develop, when everything was right as it should be right, when history was, was, uh, uh, was uh, fulfilled in God's eyes, in that moment, in that time, God sent forth his son, and his timing is impeccable. Now, whatever you're waiting on right now, whatever you're wondering if God's gone to sleep, at the fullness of time, you'll see that. Not the fullness of our time and not the fullness of when we think it should be. But if the fullness of God's timing, you will see the fruition. If in fact, that is the purpose 
and the will of God. We see this in Jacob's prophetic words to his sons near the end of his life. In Genesis 49.10, the scepter will not pass from Judah. In other words, the rulership, the governorship, the kingship, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, everybody say until. See, there's something coming if you know until, until he to whom it belongs will come. Now, some of your Bibles, if you were following along there, would say Shiloh comes. If you look up the word Shiloh, the word Shiloh means he until he who, who to whom it belongs comes. To, to him will be the obedience of the peoples. So Jacob is prophesying the coming of the Messiah. He's prophesying that the the scepter of the king of Judah would not depart until he, in, a, in, in the New American Standard and other good versions, the he is capitalized because he's talking about the Lord Jesus. He to whom it belongs will come. To him will be the obedience of the peoples. How many times down through the years do you think the children of Israel and children of Judah remembered the words of Jacob until he who comes and thinking to themselves, is he ever going to come? Is the Messiah ever going? I've heard about the Messiah all my life. Is he, is it real? Is it a real story? Is it a real prophecy? Is he ever going to come? Look at where we are, Lord. Look at the condition we're in. Look at the condition of men's hearts. Look at the, the wickedness and the cruelty of some of the kings and leaders. Is the Messiah ever going to come? Jacob said he, this was the rulership and the kingship of Judah would be reserved until he comes to whom it belongs. Not to he comes to whom it will be given. It already belongs to him. I love the last line to him. Again, him is capitalized will be the obedience of the peoples to him, the Messiah. And this will happen when at exactly the right time, Judah is saying. And Galatians 4, 4 tells us when was the right time. And that was when Jesus was born of a virgin. And so I just want to tell us today that one of the lessons we have to embrace in the Christmas story is that God's timing is impeccable. Don't faint. Don't lose hope. Don't lose trust in God because God is not operating on your timetable doesn't mean he's gone to sleep or stepped out for a cup of coffee. But God will operate and do what he's doing on his own timetable, not because he wants to be persnickety and not because he just wants to show you he's the boss. Because as you've heard me refer to this and some most people have never, but the old TV show with Robert Young, father knows best. And we have to believe that unless we believe father knows best, we won't be obedient to God. But if we do believe he knows best, not only will we be obedient, we will be patient for whatever we're looking for to come into reality, knowing that God's timing is impeccable. And then there's a second lesson that I've called redemption and restoration. It's just a little more complicated, but if you'll stay with me, if you're on Facebook, this is a good time to get off. I'm just kidding. I don't see anybody on Facebook. Um, 
Y'all do know it's the devil, don't you? Okay. Um, if you would turn to Jeremiah 22, and, and you want to, you'll want to see this. Jeremiah 22, I should have told you this earlier. Maybe I ought to turn myself. Here we go. All right. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 24. It says, as I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah. Now, if you did turn, if you didn't, uh, we're going to have words. Anyway, if you did turn, your Bible might say Jehoiakim. You might, it might say it's two or three different names there. Uh, but anyway, it's the same guy. Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, if he were the signet on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you. You think he's mad with, with Jehoiakim, with Kaniah, Jeconiah, actually. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country. That's like I'll kick you in the next week, but worse. Where you were not born, and there you shall die. Some of you said, I wish God would kick me in the next year. I'm done with 2020, but that's another topic for another day. Uh, but to the land to which they will, no, will long to return, there shall be no return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? Oh, Land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. Interesting thing about this story of, of Jehoiakim or Jeconiah, actually probably a better word. The interesting thing is we don't know what he did. There's no record in the scripture of what he did to draw God's ire. But he did something. And God pronounced a curse on Jeconiah. And this curse extended beyond himself. He was the king. Uh, and God cur pronounced a curse and dethroned him as the king of Judah. It's interesting that it says, count this man or write this man down as childless because we know from 1 Chronicles 3 that he had seven children. So he wasn't, he wasn't missing children biologically speaking, but write him down as childless. And why is that? Well, the, the next verses or the next, what's on the screen says so. None of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. It's as if he had no children. It's as if his offspring were null and void because none of his offspring would be able to sit on the throne of Judah. He was removed. Again, we don't know what he did, but his children and his, and his offspring uh, suffered from the curse. He was the last legitimate king of Judah. If you go back into your history, you'll find that he was the last king of Judah that was a legitimate king in the lineage of David. Remember, God promised David that, that a member of his family would always sit on the throne? Well, now we got a problem because Jehoiakim, he's removed. Now, we do know that his uncle uh, was appointed king, Zedekiah, by Nebuchadnezzar. 
God didn't appoint him, but Nebuchadnezzar appointed him as the king over Judah, his uncle. But he and his lineage was removed from the throne. His grandson was blessed, Zerubbabel, because he was the governor of Judah. But that's not the throne. We're talking about the throne of Judah. We're talking about the lineage of Jesus Christ. Lineage of David. Now, think about the fact that this guy, throughout the history of Judah, throughout the history of time, really, this guy is known as the guy who did whatever he did to draw a curse from God to remove him and his offspring from the throne, and none of his offspring would ever sit on the throne. Now, now you go, you know, Don wrote a song about Joseph's great song. Are we going to do that next Sunday? Good. Uh, about Joseph's perspective. We don't ever get Joseph's perspective about stuff. Well, think about Joseph his whole life. He's living with this guy who's his, I forget, nine times his great, nine times grandfather, who who brought this curse on the family. So every time his family is mentioned, maybe Joseph's hanging his head. I don't know. He's had to live with this knowledge all of his life that this ancestor ruined the family name, ruined the family, removed the family from the throne of Judah. Joseph, I'm talking about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus Christ, has to live with this his whole life. Now, here's a lesson within a lesson. It matters. Everybody say it matters. It matters to other people what you do or what you don't do. The choices you make, the decisions you make, the avenues you go, it matters to other people. This guy probably never thought about the fact that for for ages, his family, down through the ages, would have to deal with the fact with every time his name was brought up. And by the way, you might have noticed it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It rec- it's recorded in the Bible. Aren't you glad you're, you're not recorded in the Bible? I'm glad I'm not recorded in the Bible. But every time in whatever they would do, and every time Jeremiah was read, Joseph had to hang his head because of his ancestor had brought a curse on the family, and he was still living under that curse. It's interesting that God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus, knowing that his lineage was under a curse. But there's good news. Y'all like good news? Albert Barnes in his commentary said, From a family so utterly fallen, that spiritual king came forth whose name is Yahweh, our righteousness. So out of this family, who was cursed, (laughs) comes the Lord Jesus, Yahweh, which means the Lord saves, is our God. The irony of all of this is that born into this household of cursed lineage is God himself and the person of the Son of God. Now, if you were God, I'm glad you're not, by the way, and you're glad I'm not God. If you were God and you wanted to find a lineage for the Messiah to be born into, 
you might have looked around a little more. You would not have chosen a lineage that was cursed. God's got a great sense of humor. But he did. He chose Joseph. The angel appeared to him in the dream. Everything that was developed was God's plan. And, and anyway, that's the irony. But God was not only providing an avenue for the Messiah to be born, God was providing a place for the restoration of Joseph's family to the throne of Judah. Restoration of what was, what was cut off by his ancestor, and now he's going to restore that through Joseph. Now, how can that be? I'm glad you asked that question. We'll, we'll move on. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary says this. Though Messiah, the heir of David's throne, was lineally, that's easy for you to say, descended from Jeconiah. It was only through Joseph, who though his legal was not his real father. Now, I would personally insert their biological father. I think he was his real earthly father, but that's these guys, not me. It'll, it'll come up again. Matthew gives the legal pedigree through Solomon down to Joseph. Luke gives the real pedigree from Mary, the real or biological parent, through Nathan, brother of Solomon, upwards. Now, you can do that research later. It's interesting how that develops. But he's, he's connecting him to Joseph. Now, here are the facts, and here's how it works. For, number one, Jesus had to be a lineal descendant of David. In order to fulfill God's promise to David that his seed would sit upon the throne. This was an absolute necessity. There wasn't, there is no workaround in this case. He had to be in the lineage of David. But he also had to be the legal, everybody say legal, son of Joseph in order to inherit the right to sit upon the throne of David because of the of the lineage of his ancestors. So he has to be a in the lineage of David, but he has to be a legal member of Joseph's household. God's smart, people. I'm telling you. Mary, just to just to sort of emphasize this a little bit, Mary says to Jesus. After they find him in the temple, remember when he, they said, what are you doing here? She, yeah, she said, your father and I have been searching for you. Now she's not talking about God. She's talking about Joseph. Your father and I have been searching for you. Of course he tells them, I'll be about my father's business. But the point is I want to make is I want to emphasize that he was the son of Joseph. You sure are quiet. He had to be lineal descendant of David. He had to be a legal member of Joseph's household, yet he could not be a physical son of Joseph without coming under God's curse on Jeconiah. He could not be a physical member of Joseph's household, or he would be cursed as well. Through Jesus, and we'll, we'll detail, detail it a little more, but through Jesus, honor was thus restored to Joseph's lineage through God's favor in giving him the stewardship 
as Jesus' earthly father. So he is in the lineage of David through Mary. But he's in the legal household of Joseph. And so he now has the right and is sitting on the throne today because of God's grand wisdom. And here's the, the, the key, the linchpin to all of this working. And that is our third lesson that says the vital truth of the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, none of this works. Are you, are, are you there? Okay. Without the virgin birth, Jesus assumes the curse of Jeconiah and cannot sit on the throne of Judah. If he's born the way we're, all of us have been born, I doubt if there's anybody here that was born of an immaculate conception. Uh, without the virgin birth, Jesus assumes that curse. So now we know he has to be born of a virgin. Minus the virgin birth, Jesus would not have been God as the Holy Spirit would not have caused the conception in Mary. Remember what Gabriel said? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will be with child. Conception occurred in Mary's womb by the work and by the power of God's Holy Spirit or God the Holy Spirit. And so we know that his conception was but from God. I know your brains can't process this, but try. So minus the virgin birth, he wouldn't be God. Because of the virgin birth, Jesus had no sin nature. Because of the virgin birth, he had no sin nature because Joseph wasn't his biological father. He was his legal father, but he wasn't his biological father. Hebrews says, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Undefiled, separated, innocent, above the heavens. Now, I am not a medical doctor. As a matter of fact, I'm not any kind of doctor. Sometimes I drink Dr. Pepper. That's as close as I'm going to get. I did not stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. According to three sources, and these three sources are Howell's Textbook of Physiology, um, Williams' Practice of Obstetrics and Nurse's Handbook of Obstetrics by Luis Zabriski, RN. According to th these three sources, and I've heard this all my life, and if you are a medical person and you know different, please tell me. Don't stand up now and do it. Different, but I'm according to these three uh, sources who are all medical professionals, the blood of an infant, of an embryo, is not created or introduced until introduced by the father. Then in the placenta, the unborn child's blood is kept separate from the mother's blood or the baby could die. So specifically, blood is not from the mother, but from the father. The DNA mixes from both, but again, the blood specifically comes 
from the Father. Again, I'm not a medical doctor, but I understand this. The blood that came, that Jesus developed as an infant, as an embryo in Mary's womb, the blood that was introduced to Jesus came through the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit's without sin? So therefore, Jesus is without sin. So now here we have Jesus, who is in the lineage of David through Mary, but he's in the lineage of Joseph because of, of being legally Joseph's son. And now he is able because he is a sinless character. And he is sinless because of the virgin birth. God says, Joseph, you've been dealing with this your whole life. It's being restored. Your heir will sit on the throne. Your legal heir, not your, not your lineage. Your legal heir now sits on the throne. Why is that? Because God's smarter than all of us in here combined. How, who could have figured that out except God? And he gives us Jesus Christ. The blood in Jesus' veins was from the Holy Spirit who is God untainted by the sinful nature of man. What does all that mean to us? It means that whatever your, whatever your dire circumstances are, I used these words last week, I'm using them again. Whatever they are, don't ever think there's no restoration capable for you. Don't ever think you're beyond restoration. Don't ever think your family is beyond restoration. Don't ever think that there's no redemption. God proved he took, the, there's no way on earth after whatever it was Jeconiah did to be cursed. No way on earth that another of his descendants could sit on the throne until God came along with a plan called the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Restoration. God's timing is perfect. His restoration is available for you. And it's that way because God in his infinite wisdom created a plan whereby Jesus would be born of a virgin and the conception would have been produced by God himself. You and I could think till smoke came out of our ears and we couldn't think that one up. And yet there it is in the word of God. So conclusions? Well, questions, really. Is God's timing different than yours? Yes. Everybody say yes. yes. Don't be, I mean, yes, let's just face it. We, 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 we're never on God's timetable. Are you attempting to force something or someone before it's time? Are you trying to make something happen? By manipulating and exercise. Are you trying to make something happen with your own effort instead of just waiting for God to do it in his time? I don't know the answer to these questions, but you know the answer. And I do appreciate the fact that you're not going to stand up and blurt out your answers. And have you allowed hopelessness and despair to become a part of your thought process? Every one of us 
have at times been at a place in our life, in varying degrees, I'll admit, but we've all been at places in our lives. When we were, we had to deal with, and in some cases overcome with despair and hopelessness, that that thing would never be, that person would never appear, that job would never come through, that whatever, whatever it is. We've all had to deal with that from time to time. And it's become of our, part of our thought process. And it's governed us. Is there anything that you have deemed hopeless? Are there any situations in your life that seem unredeemable? More than one person is sitting here today and saying yes to these questions. And a bunch of us, if not, are saying, I, I, I was there not that long ago. I was saying yes not long ago, but God had come through. God has shown himself on my behalf and on his behalf. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you worse off than Joseph and his family? Are you worse off than what he was? Are you worse off than a man who can't even hold his head up in public, especially when Jeremiah chapter 22 is read? Because he identifies your ancestor as being this guy so vile and so wicked that he's cursed and removed as from the king of Judah. We don't even know what he did. And yet, are, is, are you worse off than that? I think not. I think not. So the lessons that we learn from the Christmas story, and these are just only three. Four if you include the bonus. These are just three lessons that we learn from the Christmas story. There's many more, and I invite you to dig through the Scripture and watch and see what they are. John, uh, Don, my good friend Don, let's bring the worship team up. I, I didn't give them a warning, and uh, so uh, I just want to finish with a song, and you may need to respond to some of this. You may need to, in the midst of worship, you may need to say something to God. You may need to say something to somebody. I don't want you to walk out of here hopeless today. I don't want to walk, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking your situation is unredeemable. Don't walk out of here thinking that there's no restoration because a lot of you in this room, a lot of us in this room have been at that place when we thought we were beyond restoration and God showed up and we're beyond that now. Don't leave here without, at the very least, putting your trust again in him that he knows best and thanking him that he had this wise plan that our Messiah would come, be born of a virgin, and therefore be sinless and be our sinless, spotless sacrifice in our place. And yet at the same time, he was a human being because a human being had to pay the price for our debt because a human being human being sinned, Romans chapter 5. The more I study this, I keep saying it, but my goodness, God is so smart. And in comparison, we're not. I'm not saying you're stupid. But compared to God and this plan, we're not even close. So the worship team is going to sing and play.
And you respond however uh, you might be moved to, res- to respond. Uh, but if, God, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, don't leave out of here without responding to him in some way.